Good morning. Man, it is wonderful to see you today, and uh, so glad that you uh, were able to join us today to worship with us. I, I, it's okay, I'm going to say, Merry Christmas. I mean, it's this week, guys, you know, and if some of you have, have if you've not got the shopping done, I've got some bad news, okay? Okay, are you ready? Here's the bad news. Because some of you might be romantic. TJ, I know you're a real romantic. I, I understand that. He is. He's a real romantic. He believes that, that, you know, you get your wife a shotgun for Christmas. That's a good thing. That's a romantic right there. And, and, and you, if, you're, if you're romantic like TJ and you, you think, you know that 12 Days of Christmas song, that'd be really cool to do, you know, for my spouse. Over the last five or six years, the cost of doing the 12 days of Christmas, just like the song, you know, Partridge in a Pear Tree and all, it's gone up about 25%. And so day 12 alone is, is over 45,000. And all 12 days, if you do it just like the songs, it's about $211,000. And it's laid out online so you can see the cost of everything year to year and how much things increase. So I just, that's a little bit of bad news, just in case. But uh, we've, we've had this series of, of messages that we're doing on, on uh, Christmas traditions. And we really have to be honest that, that really the, probably the, the number one tradition, at least that our children care about, um, is, is gifts, right? Our children remind us that that is the number one tradition I don't know if we've passed it on to them or if they're continuing to pass it on to us that uh, that should be the number one tradition for them. But what I'd like to do today is I'd like to look at the best gift, the first Christmas gift, and the perfect gift. And in order to talk about the best gift, I, I think we have, to, we have to reach into the culture okay, that we live in and that we were raised in, in order to, um, you know, to, to understand it. Um, but I want to draw from a couple of uh, things that most of us probably have been exposed to. And the first one is a, a gift that was given to a young man named Ralphie, okay? If you know where I'm going with this, try to, you know, try, try to just contain yourself. But Ralphie's gift was what he referred to as the oiled blue steel beauty. As he went to bed Christmas night, clutching his Red Rider BB gun to himself. TJ, you're, get, you're, you're getting steamed up at this already. I can see the tears coming. You're like, oh, I totally identify with that. I'm picking on him today. I have no idea why, buddy. I love you. <laughs> But, but he, he got this gift, and, and he was so excited. But what is it that made the Red Ryder BB gun so perfect for Ralphie? Because it was, it, he, he described it in his adult voice, okay, you know, as he overdubs the, the whole movie and he talks as an adult. He said it was the best Christmas gift he had ever or would ever receive. So it, this, this made a profound impact on this character. But people told him, people warned him about this gift. They said, you know what, you're, you you're going to do what? You're going to 
shoot your eye out. <laughs> we got it. You're going to shoot your eye out with that thing. They warned him. But Ralphie wanted nothing more. Ralphie dreamed of, check, check the line out, pranging ducks on the wing and, and making spectacular hip shots. You know, I, I grew up in the cowboy, the cowboy era. I did. I, listen, we wore hats. We had, we had neckerchiefs. You know, we, we, we would take old winter gloves and use them all year long just to play cowboys. Holsters, guns, we pointed them at people. We pulled the trigger. I mean, it was, you know, it was the 60s and 70s. What can I say? We lived crazy. It was the wild, wild west. And, and, um, but, but Ralphie wanted nothing more. That's all that he wanted. And, and for him, it was, it was literally, it was the greatest thing that he could ever imagine. And the best part of the movie is that that morning after receiving that gift, he runs out into the backyard and he lines up his first shot. And what does he do? He almost shoots his eye out on the very first shot that he takes with that Red Ryder BB gun. There's another story that we've heard before. It takes place in 1946 in Bedford Falls. And uh, the character, George Bailey, he's, he has a problem. You see, Uncle Billy has lost the deposit for the building and loan, and it's about ready to go under. And somehow the deposit winds up in old man Potter's hands. And the whole movie would, would be nothing if old man Potter simply were honest and gave it back. But he didn't do that. He held on to it. And in fact, when George came to his office to ask him for help, not only did he not give him the deposit, which he, which he had in his possession, which he knew belonged to the building and loan, he, he, not only didn't he help, but he swore out an arrest uh, warrant on George Bailey for that money. And, and the, the movie, it, it goes on from there where, where the bank examiner and the police show up at George Bailey's house on Christmas Eve to arrest him. And Bailey is so distraught, George is so distraught, he thought, I, I'm gonna, I'll take my own life. Because he had a $15,000 life insurance policy. And he thought, at least then, it can get paid. He was so distraught. Well, without knowing it, that night, his friends and his family had begun to gather at his house while he was out running around town having this, this wild uh, dream of, of what would happen to him. And that night, the family and the friends that gathered, they began to bring money. And they began to give that money so that it would make up for the $8,000 that had been lost. George had been wrapped up in his problem. He, he didn't really um, expect that this would happen, but these people out of humility, they came and, and they pulled out some of them just a couple of dollars. And, and every time somebody gave, uh, you know, Uncle Billy would tally up what it was. And pretty soon there was more than enough money to pay the debt. And ultimately the bank examiner tore up the arrest warrant and gave even some of his own money 
Well, when you and I think about giving gifts, we think about that, that what's that really good gift? What's, what's a good gift to give somebody? Some people are easy to give for. Some people are difficult. Our daughter, Becca, she's so easy to give for. Since she was a little girl, when she would open a gift, she would say, without fail, she would say, it's just what I always wanted. Didn't she, Mom? She said that all the time. And it's so easy. And, and you can get her anything, and she's thrilled to death with it. So it's, it's just a great characteristic or quality to have. But we think about what's that perfect gift. And this week while I was getting ready for this message, I ran across uh, an article by a pastor and, and he talked about three different criteria that make up a perfect gift. And I want to share those with you real quick. The first criteria is this, that a gift should reflect the giver. And, and, and this is harder for some of us than others to do. But the gift should reflect the giver. You see, what we give says something about us. You know, last week I talked about the Advent calendar and my wife informed me that I really need to pick up this, this habit of giving her a gift throughout the entire Advent. And nothing, you know, not just a little bit of candy, but something serious, you know. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to extend myself and I'm going to try to learn to do stuff like it. Thank you, Ethan, for, you know, opening up that door uh, in, in my life with my Christmas experience now. I appreciate that very much. But what we give people reveals the thoughts that we have because we go through a process that we think when we give, we, we go through a process of thinking that through. And it reveals ultimately how we feel about that person. Now, I've, I have to be honest with you and, and, and admit to you that for years, I've allowed my wife to do all of the Christmas shopping, okay? And she, I would say, honey, what do you want? And she'd say, well, you know, I would like this. And I'd say, you order that. That's perfect. That's good for you. I'm sorry. Please don't, don't, don't get mad at me for that. But in the last few years, I thought, you know what? Enough of this. I'm doing my own Christmas shopping. And so she's, you know, she says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go Christmas shopping. And she said, but wait a second. I already got all the gifts. We, you know, we decided on this much. I said, tough luck. I'm, I'm going Christmas shopping. I need to get something myself. And inevitably, I find myself in the same place a lot, a lot of the time, okay? I go to Menards, first of all, okay? Because I know that store better than I know any other store. And I, I, go to the, I go to the automotive section. You think, that's crazy. No, it isn't. It's totally practical. I mean, I've got a daughter that lives five hours away, and if she has a car problem, I'm not there to help her. So what do I do? One year I made sure that she had a, uh, something where she could jump her battery uh, off of this, this thing, you know, if her battery went dead. Because as a dad, I'm thinking of my daughter on the side of the road. No one is there to help her and her battery's dead. What happens? This year I, I said, man, what if she had a flat tire? There's got to be a way to pump that tire up if nobody else is there. So I, I got her one of those, those compressors that plugs into your, your cigarette lighter and it will, it will blow up your tire. You know, it takes 12 hours to do it, but it'll blow up your tire. And, and, I, and, and that says something to me that I don't want to get a call in the middle of the night that says I'm stranded and I don't know what to do and I don't have anybody that I can call on. But, but really, I love my daughter and I, I, 
I want the best for her and I want to keep her safe. So when we give things, it says something. It says, when we give something, it says something about us. I, I just happen to love practical gifts. But secondly, it reflects knowledge of the recipient, their needs, their desires, their circumstances. And we should give gifts according to those things because that points to the type of relationship that we have with that person. The gifts that I buy for someone, it's everybody's different. I buy a different gift for my wife than I, I do for my kids. I buy, we, we, we do things different based on our relationship with that person. Thirdly, that gift should hold its value. You know, there's a big debate, and, and a lot of times this is a debate in, in our family. My wife is like, she, she doesn't, she, she prefers not to give gift cards, right, honey? You prefer not to because she wants to put thought into the gift, okay? And there's always the concern. I hear this talked about all the time. We have this discussion in our house. Well, does the gift card expire? And I've heard people say, no, that gift card is good. You paid for it. It's good. Well, if the business goes out of business, it ain't any good anymore. Um, but they, they actually, uh, they, the Federal Credit Card Act of 2009 Federally, it is a law that that credit card or that gift card has to be good for five years. Okay, so if you got a gift card and it's four years old, you're you're fine. But if it's if it happens to be five years old, now you're starting to take a chance that maybe uh, it wouldn't be able to be redeemed. But no, people obviously usually do that do redeem those things. Um, but then there's always that fear of you know you use it. And then you've got like $4.72 left on it. And the next time you go back to that store, you're like, should I try to use that or not? And sometimes you, you give them the gift card and you think it's got something on it and it doesn't have anything. And how, how stupid you feel. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Um, but why do, we, why do we give those gifts in the first place? The first Christmas gifts that we see in Scripture. I want to go there in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew records the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So who are these guys? Who are these guys? They, they're called, the, we call them the wise men. We call them the kings. We three kings of Orient are. We call them the Magi. The Bible calls them the Magi. The word Magi is short for magician, which if you grew up in the church in the seven, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, that, that's, that's, no, that's taboo. The magic, that was, you know, I mean, and, and oh my goodness, if someone was a Christian magician, that's like an oxymoron. Those two things cannot go together, you know. So the, even, the, even, even that word coming from there, for some people say, no, that, that can't be uh, ultimately what we're talking about. But historians tell us that they were most likely philosophers. They could have been priests from another religion. Um, undoubtedly, they were, they were um, in astronomy of some sort because they were astronomers, because they were following the stars. So they were looking to uh, the stars. They were learned men, most likely from Persia or Arabia. Um, and and they, they were 
Very possibly they were priests from just a completely different type of religion. They might have been um, people that, that were known to be involved in medicine as well. But most notably, I think is very interesting, is we see nowhere that they're Jewish. These are not Hebrews. These are not men that come from uh, the Judeo uh, religion. They are, they are coming from another country. They're coming from another place. And, and yet they are looking for someone very specifically. And the, they find this uh, in the stars. They're following a star. And when we think, I just let's be honest, when we think of the Magi, okay, you might think of that little, that little display thing that your, your grandma or your mom or you have. Maybe it's on a, a buffet. You know, maybe it's on a, an end table and it's got all these characters in it. And, and there's a, a wooden little barn with, with like hay hot glued to the floor of it. You know what I'm talking about? And then the star uh, on, on the top and then there's an angel. And then we've got, you know, you've got sheep and you've got, you know, usually it's got to have a donkey and it's got to have a camel. It's got to have those things. Uh, It's probably going to have shepherds, two or three shepherds. And then you're going to have anywhere from one, two, or three of these other characters that we're talking about, the Magi. The problem is that that display is not even, (laughs) when I say this, don't don't get mad at me. It's not a, a biblically accurate depiction. Because the Magi didn't show up while Jesus was in the manger. Okay? You got Mary, you got Joseph, you got Jesus in the manger in your nativity. The Magi did not show up then. The, the, Jesus was no longer in the manger. He was no longer in, in the stable. He was no longer in Bethlehem. This would have been two years after his birth, historians believe. And so just the idea of the Magi coming into the house. Look at, at, look at Matthew 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense of myrrh. And we, you know, parupa pum pum, going around in our minds, we, this vision that we see. He was two years old. I see Levi. Okay, what is that going to look like with those guys showing up at, at our, our house with Levi? He's going to be screaming, okay? He's going to be running up and down the hall with the loudest toy that he possibly can. You know, if you try to be nice and, hey, let's sit down, let's have, let's have a meal together. You know, the Magi come in and you sit them at the table. There's a fork that's going to come across the table at one of the Magi. You know, that's just what's going to happen with a two-year-old, okay? And, and we think that it's this peaceful, serene, you know, moment. But in reality, um, it was a little bit different than that. Um, But these guys show up, they show up with these gifts uh, because they want to acknowledge the birth of royalty. What is it that they said? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? There was some sign, some, some star in the sky that showed them, that actually led them to the house where Jesus was. And they had stopped initially in Jerusalem to ask, where is he that is born king of the Jews? 
They, they understood it. They were looking for him, and they brought gifts to him. Let's look at those gifts real quickly. The first one was gold. Gold is known as the metal of kings. I find it interesting that King Solomon, the temple that he made, was believed to contain 34 tons of gold, which in our economy today would be worth just shy of $2 billion. And the temple was not an enormous um, building. And yet gold was so, it was so important. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, it tells us that the great street that runs through heaven will be paved with gold. This summer, here in Marquette, we saw a lot of construction going on, and they redid the Highway 41, and, and it's, it's nice. You know, it really is nice. I, I love it. I'm so glad that, that they did it, and you think of, of all that they did to, to do that and all the asphalt that that took, and what a hot job that is, and the, the street that runs through heaven is paved with pure gold. I mean, how, how unbelievable is something like that? But that gold, that gift of gold that they brought, they were acknowledging Jesus' position as king. What they were saying is we recognize that this two-year-old little, little one is born, has been born the king of the Jews. In the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7, it says he will reign on David's throne. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let's go into the New Testament, the book of Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. The Bible tells us that God placed all things under Jesus' feet. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he is ruler over all. When they asked Jesus, they, said, they asked about him being a king. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is the king. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says that, that, that Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power, and dominion. So when they brought gold, they brought gold to Jesus. They bowed down because Jesus is the king. They brought also frankincense. Frankincense is used in special sacrificial offerings. They reflect uh, that, that divinity is being worshipped. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 7, God tells Moses that Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamp. So in the tabernacle and then eventually in the temple, incense, burning incense, was a type of worship that God actually asked for. God actually prescribed it to be done. Then when we look at worship in the New Testament, uh, in the same sort of um, aspect, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
Incense is found in the throne room of God, in the presence of God, burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and on and on and on. Incense is is really taking place as an act of worship. So by these magi bringing frankincense, they were acknowledging not only that Jesus was king, but that he was also God. He was divine. And then finally they brought myrrh. Myrrh is a a perfume or an ointment. I think it's interesting that Isaiah 61.1 writes, God speaks of the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord, of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has what? Anointed. Anointed. Myrrh is an ointment used for anointing. A prophet would be anointed, a priest or a king. In the Old Testament, Aaron, when he was anointed as high priest, literally Moses took the the mixture of oil and spices that God had designed and, and poured it over Aaron's head and it flowed down from his hair and into his beard and into his clothing and all the way down to his feet. This picture of anointing and of course, we know that, that the, 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 uh, in, in Scripture, the anointing oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. But Aaron was anointed to that position of high priest. David, when, when Samuel uh, was ready to, um, to, to set him apart as being the king, Samuel took oil and he poured it over David's head. He anointed him. In Luke chapter 7, We read about a woman who did not have a good reputation, who made her way into a gathering where Jesus was. And and when Jesus was seated, and and when we think seated, we think of chairs like this, but, but in the Eastern culture, they would have been on the floor. Maybe there were pillows, but she came to his feet and she broke open an alabaster jar of perfume ointment. And she anointed Jesus' feet. The disciples weren't happy about it, but Jesus said, you guys don't realize this, but this anointing is important because I'm not going to be anointed after my death because by the time they came to anoint Jesus, the women that came that Easter Sunday morning, Jesus had already risen from the dead. Jesus These things, they are a prophetic with the oil. It's prophetic in the sense of of prophesying about the Messiah, but also prophesying the future of Jesus. So this idea of worship, these gifts that these magi brought, they were gifts of worship, that Jesus was the king, that Jesus was God, and, and that he is indeed prophet, priest, and king. And then finally, this idea of the perfect gift. Have you ever got a gift that you really love and you just can't explain it? It's not that it was expensive. It just happened to be the thing. You know what I mean? And then some other gifts that we get, um, our response is just totally different. We're like, meh, meh. But this other thing, if it's a piece of clothing, we will wear it till it, literally disintegrates, and we just love it. 
and then something else, it just doesn't strike us. It's, it's so interesting to me how we respond like that. But there's gotta, be some, there's gotta be some sort of criteria that God used when he gave us this gift of Jesus. And Jesus is this idea of a perfect gift to the world. And let me go back to that article that I read and let's pull out some things that we can apply ultimately to Jesus. And the first thing is this, that Jesus reflects the one who gave him as the gift. He reflects God the Father. Scripture says that Jesus is the uh, exact representation of God. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's how, that's how closely um, it's, the, you know, they are uh, in, in Jesus, in his explanation. I'm getting tripped up here, sorry. But Jesus is saying, if you have seen me, you've seen my Father. We are one. In my family... You know, people don't mistake who's related. You know, if you're a Taylor guy, especially, nobody has to question if you're a Taylor man. They just automatically know, okay? It's a strong thing. Jesus, when we see Jesus, we experience ultimately the Father as well. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says of God that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And what did Jesus say? In John chapter 3, you know, we've all heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it says that, that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to fulfill the mission and purpose of the Father. So the gift, the gift absolutely reflected the giver. Next Jesus reflects knowledge of our needs. God knew what we needed even before we asked it. God understood that our righteousness was like filthy rags. He knows that we're lost. He understands that we've sinned. He knows what the payment for that sin is, that we cannot pay that ourselves, that we have no way other than that, he understands, as Paul said in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin are death. Look at this. But the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that gift of Jesus was a gift that it understood. It had knowledge of our greatest need. Ralphie, Ralphie wanted the Red Rider BB gun. He wanted it desperately. George needed the $8,000, okay? Because if George didn't get the $8,000, George's going to jail, okay? So Ralphie wanted the Red Rider BB gun George needed. God understands what we need. Scripture says he knows what we need even before we ask him. And sometimes we might ask him for things that we want or or, or that we think we need, and sometimes his answer is for what he knows we need. This gift that God has given us is a gift that deals with our sin. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn salvation. Jesus shed his blood to forgive us of our sin. And then number three, the gift of Jesus holds its value. There's a line in the movie says, that's the gift that just keeps on giving all year long. 
It's talking about the Jelly of the Month Club. Jesus, the gift of Jesus is not, it's not a Jelly of the Month Club. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's gift to you and I through his son Jesus, if we will accept it, if we will receive it, is eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 says God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. God knew that we needed a redeemer. And only Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, would be the sufficient gift that would get us what we really needed. Jesus isn't going to expire. There's not going to be a zero balance. When you come to Jesus and you say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. It's never going to say zero balance on this card. It's never going to lose its value. It's never going to be outdated. It will never become obsolete. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we can't earn it, God has made this gift available. And for more than 2,000 years, men and women have been getting this gift. You say, how do I get that gift? You've got to accept it. You can't accept a version of it. You have to accept the gift. The gift that the wise men understood. He is king. He is God. And he is priest. And they, even without knowing the gospel, they understood who this child would become. In just a moment, we're going to just sing that song that we sang earlier, What Child Is This? And I just want to encourage you that if you have never accepted that ultimate gift that Jesus has offered, that today can be that day. You don't have to live one day longer without accepting that gift. And I believe that all heaven rejoices when even one person receives it. Would you stand with me? Let's sing together and then I'll come and we'll close our service in prayer.